no wheelchairs, no government aid, no handicap facilities. Imagine what it would be like to be disabled in the first century. I mean, you couldn't have a job. You couldn't go to the marketplace. You couldn't even go to the restroom without someone helping you out. What would life like that actually be? Well, in Acts chapter 3, we have a glimpse into the day of a man who was crippled. I think it's safe to say that this day started like just about all his days. Either some family or close friends came and physically got him ready, and then they physically carried him out to the gate called Beautiful by the temple. And that's where he sat day after day. I imagine that as he sat there through the hours, he looked at his twisted, lifeless limbs and wondered, what would it be like? Now, apparently he was born this way. In other words, he'd never seen his toes wiggle ever. He'd never been able to run or jump or leap, quite frankly, not even walk. I think that as a child, he must have looked out his window at the children playing, and I imagine that he said to himself, I'd give anything. But he, he had... He'd let those foolish fantasies, those dreams go long ago. But as he sat there that day, I imagine that he wondered for the millionth time, what would it be like? But still in his dreams, even though hope of any help was no more, I'm sure in his dreams he occasionally dreamt of walking and jumping and dancing. Acts 4.22 tells us that he, he had been this way for more than 40 years. So I think it's same, safe to assume that he was a fixture outside the gate. He begged there every day. I think he kept his head down. I don't really know why. Maybe he kept his head down so as just not to make eye contact. Maybe he thought he would embarrass people or, or maybe, maybe he was just tired of the the stares or the head shakes or people whispering about him. Maybe he was tired of the looks of pity from some. He sits there with his head down and he, he does the only thing he knows to do to make a living. Beg. Now, mind you, he had to stay out by the gate. He had to stay outside the temple. Because the regulations in that day said that anyone who was disabled like that wasn't really fit for the temple. They couldn't go in and be a part of the normal social life and the worship. Again, imagine the isolation. He's not only a social reject, but now he's a spiritual reject as well. Imagine the loneliness of that. And yet, this day is going to be different. This day, his temple is turned into a church. This day, God moves in 
and does something extraordinary. Let's pick the story up in Acts chapter 3 as we continue today in our series called Church Next. This is an astounding story of compassion. Acts 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day. It's, I, I'm struck by those words. He was put there. His friends or family, whoever, placed him there because he couldn't even crawl. He couldn't drag those twisted limbs along very well to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow, what a story. Now, last week in chapter 2, we looked at some of the amazing manifestations when God moved in the church with power. We talked about those tongues of fire over their head, speaking in languages they hadn't studied. We saw last week that Peter stands up filled with the Spirit and preaches a powerful gospel message, and we saw the amazing impact as 3,000 are baptized that day. But i got a question for you. What? is the most powerful manifestation of God's Spirit in the church. In other words, what is the most compelling proof of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in any church? I think this story in Acts 3 is going to give us a glimpse of that because when the Holy Spirit moves in, God's people are going to act... As they see hurting people, they're going to act in compassion. They're going to show his love in response to needs. As a church here, Grace Fellowship, at all of our locations, I want us to be able, and I believe that Church Next is going to be able authentically to tell thousands of stories of compassion just like this one as God moves in our midst. So let's study it. Let's study it and let's leave here today hopefully able to tell our own story of compassion. The first thing we see in this story, if you're jotting some ideas down, this would be a a great time, if you haven't already, a great time to kind of jump in and begin to move that 
pen or pencil, move your fingers on your device as you put down some ideas. If you want to have a story of compassion, you got to get out of the house. Our passage begins with one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Jim Wallace is a man I respect. In his book, Faith Works, he says that the first step, if you want to grow in compassion, is you got to get out of the house more often. Now think about that with me. I believe that most of us have constructed our lives so that we're not around people like this guy very much. Oh, I know it's different for some of you. Some of you are in caregiving professions. You do an awesome job. Some of you maybe work for the state with, with family services, or maybe you're a social worker, maybe you have a, a caseload. Some of you are counselors or therapists. Some of you work in schools as teachers, and you maybe coach, and you're working with people whose lives are very broken. Praise God for you. May God empower you as you keep helping those people. But most of us, most of us have lives where we don't really come in close contact with a ton of broken people. Oh, there are thousands of stories of compassion that could be told, but we'd have to get out of our house. We'd have to get out of our workplace. We'd have to get out of our church building if they were really going to be told. It, there's some things that just don't happen by accident. We'd have to be intentional. By the way, in your small groups this week, that might be a good thing to talk about. You know, as you gather together to study God's word, to pray for one another and, and fellowship, it might be a cool thing to talk, just dialogue, brainstorm. How could we get out of our houses a little more? How could we get out of our church building, out of our routine, and actually encounter some people who are really, really hurting? Well, Peter and John do it by going to the temple. Now, don't let that fool you. When we see temple, we immediately make the equation. We immediately think church. It's not like they're going to church here. In fact, as you read on, they really weren't welcome there that much with their belief system. They were intentionally going to a place where they know people will not know Jesus. Let me say that again because it's important. They're intentionally here. Going to a place where they know people will not know Jesus. It's in that action that they encounter this man. And if we're going to have a story of compassion, it, it's going to mean getting out of the house. I wonder if God's nudging you that way. Church Next is going to have hundreds and hundreds of people who go volunteer with acts of compassion and work in homeless shelters, out on the street, working through one of our many Grace in Action partners. Maybe God is calling you to get out of the house and spend your vacation time and maybe even some of your vacation money to go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe he's calling you to get out of the house with some greeting cards and go hand them out at a nursing home or go volunteer to work with some young people. God's calling us to leave our comfort zone, to get out and show his love to people who are hurting. Why do we not do that more? 
I don't think it's because we lack concern. You know what I think the reason is, we, many of us don't do that more, is we just don't think it would be any fun, it'd be a downer, and we really don't think it would make us happy. Dr. Martin Seligman is one of the most decorated and celebrated and noticed psychologists of our day. In his book, Authentic Happiness, which, by the way, is just jammed with great information, my wife Debbie first told me about the book, and then I got an electronic copy of it of my own, and I've gotten so much good stuff out of that book. He says, that most of us think that we would be happy if we had more of something. More money, more chocolate, more success, more accolades, more respect, more sex, more something. But he says that the gap between more and enough is never bridged. That gap between more that we desire and enough just, just never seems to be filled. And so he gave his psychology students, these young, brilliant, very bright young people, he gave them an assignment. He said, I want you to go out and I want you to do one thing that you know is going to make you happy. One thing that's going to be pleasurable, I want you to go out and do that. And then I want you to go do one thing that is an act of compassion. One truly altruistic action that's kind of sacrificial, that you, you don't necessarily want to do. I want you to go out and do that. And then I want you to write down your reflections on both of these things. He concludes, after that experiment, he says the results were life-changing. The afterglow of the pleasurable activity, hanging out with friends, watching a movie, eating a hot fudge sundae, whatever it was, paled in comparison with the effects of one act of compassion. Seligman found that when people are involved in acts of compassion, they become less self-absorbed, less depressed. They become more tuned in to others and more capable of empathy. They have a greater sense of a community and a decreased sense of of loneliness. Amazing. Don't you think that's a bit ironic, though? When we intentionally focus on getting happiness for ourselves, we become depressed. But when we go out and intentionally focus on helping someone, meeting someone else's need, then we become happy. Isn't that ironic? But it sure sounds like what Jesus said, doesn't it? That when you seek to gain your life, you're, you're going to lose it. But when you lose your life intentionally for my sake in the gospel, Jesus said that's when you're really going to find it. And that's where the abundant life lies. So I, I challenge you to pray a, a, a dangerous prayer. Would you dare pray this this week? God, would you put in my path this week broken people who are hurting and fill me with yourself so that your love can heal them. Dangerous. Dangerous prayer. I dare you to pray that. So it all begins by getting out of the house. But secondly, if you want a story of compassion, you've got to see. You've got to see the individual. 
Verse 4 here says Peter looked straight at him as did John. Philip's translation says Peter looked intensely at the man. Now, I think the reason that's highlighted here is because he wasn't really accustomed to that. Can I tell you what he was accustomed to? He was accustomed to people kind of going far around him, kind of saying, well, he, he's there. Let, let's go in that door right over there. Let's, let's skirt around. He, wasn't, he, was, he was accustomed to people walking around him and whispering, just don't make eye contact and you'll be okay. So as he sits at this gate and someone actually stops and looks at him, it really gets his attention. Has this ever happened to you? You just don't want to look straight at an issue. It happens to me at Christmas time. <laughs> when I'm going into the grocery store and the, and the Salvation Army guy is there ringing the bell, I was like, wow, man. You know what? I'm going to walk by that guy, and if I don't give, he's going to think I, I am a stingy jerk. That's what he's going to think. That's what I think. That's what goes on in my head. But he has no idea, does he? He has no idea all the money I give. He has no idea that I tithe. He has no idea that I support a child in Africa. He has no idea that I give to all these great kids. He has no idea. But if I don't put some money in, he's going to think I'm a jerk. So I go, I'm going to go to that door over there. Where is there not a Salvation Army person? Let me find that door. Because I don't want that awkwardness of seeming to be cheap and selfish. Or maybe it happens to you at the lobby at church and you, you see over there, ooh, there's that woman who always has a draining story and she always wants me to listen to her and so you just kind of drift to the other side. Or maybe it's at the end of the ramp and you see the homeless guy holding the sign. You think, don't look, just keep your, just keep your focus ahead and you'll be okay. Or maybe it's in your office and you're walking you see the woman sitting there with her head and her hands and you think, now, is that, is that the woman whose husband just left her? Ah, what was her name? That's what the guy was used to. He was used to people looking down on him and looking over him. But not today. Peter and John noticed. And by the way, most people in his culture would have assumed theologically that he had done something bad to deserve that. Remember when Jesus healed the guy in John 9 who was blind? And somebody asked, Lord, who was it, his parents or him, who sinned that he became like this? And Jesus said, no, 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 bad theology. No. But people would have assumed that that this guy was crippled because he had done something to deserve it. Have you ever noticed also how hard it is to be compassionate with people that we think don't deserve it? They think, we think they had it coming to them. I'll be honest. When I see some guy who's involved in extreme sports and he broke his arm, I just want to go. Look, wait a minute. You're doing quadruple flips on a bicycle on a hard surface, and you wonder why you broke a bone? Come on, come on, get, get real. Or maybe for you, 
It's hard for you really to feel compassion for the alcoholic or the drug addict whose, whose family has given up on them because you would never say it, but you wanted to say, look, just put the bottle away, dude. Just, just quit shooting up, would you? you? You'd never say that. It just sounds too rude, but you think it. Or, or, or maybe it's the, the single young mother who became pregnant before marriage and now has a hard time providing for herself and her baby. And you'd never say it, but you just want to kind of go, you, you reap what you sow. I think most of us have a hard time being compassionate with people that we think brought it on themselves. All I got to say to you is this. Aren't you glad that's not the way God looks at compassion? Because if God looked at compassion that way, not a one of us would be here. We'd be toast. I'm so glad that God doesn't look at it the way many times we do. There's a lawyer named Dale who lives in Tallahassee, Florida, has an income in the high six figures, near a million a year. He started to volunteer at the Good News Soup Kitchen in Tallahassee. I want to read to you what he writes about his experience. Dale writes, I showed up early every day in my three-piece suit to help from 1 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. They, they assigned me door duty, and my job was to make sure street people lining up to eat waited in an orderly fashion. So every day, I stood at the door for an hour chatting with the street people who were waiting to eat. Before I started serving food at the soup kitchen, street people was a meaningless term. It defined a group without defining anybody in particular. From the comfort of my car, my nice home, and downtown law office, street people were just those people out there somewhere. Then one day, an elderly woman named Helen came running to the door of the soup kitchen. A man was chasing her and threatening to kill her if she didn't give him back his dollar. After 20 minutes of mediation, I brought peace to the situation by giving each of them a dollar. That evening, I happened to be standing on the corner of Park and Monroe, and in the red twilight, I spied a lonely silhouette struggling in my direction from Tennessee Street. A poor street person, I thought. As the figure inched closer, I was about to turn my back to my own concerns when I detected something familiar in that shadowy figure. The red scarf, the clear plastic bag with the white border, the mismatched shoes. My gosh, I whispered, that's Helen. And my eyes froze on her as she limped by and turned up the street. No doubt she'd crawl under a bush to spend the night. My mind has always dismissed the sight of street people in seconds, but I, I could not expel the picture of Helen. That night as I lay in my $5,000 deluxe temperature-controlled bed, I couldn't sleep. A voice kept asking, where's Helen sleeping tonight? No street person has ever interfered with my sleep, but the shadowy figure with the red scarf and the plastic bag and the mismatched shoes had followed me home. I made a fatal mistake. 
I learned her name. You say you're compassionate? I want names. Peter and John dared to focus in on the individual. You say, oh, but pastor, I'm a compassionate person. Do you have a name for me? See, Peter sees the person, and I think for many of us, the reason we don't see the individual, it's a case of mistaken identity. Jesus told a gripping story about the end of time, what it was going to be like. Jesus told this. He said when he comes back in all of his power and glory, here's what he taught, Matthew 25, you can read it for yourself. He said he's going to divide all the human beings He's going to divide divide all people into two groups, those on his right and those on his left. And those on his right are like the sheep, and those on his left are like the goats, he said. And he said, then I'm going to say to those on the right, come to me, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you you gave me something to drink. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. And then, I'm gonna say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, I was hungry. In fact, I was starving, and you knew it. And you looked the other way. I was starving. You pretended like you didn't see. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. And those on his left will say, uh, uh, Jesus, been, I've been racking my memory here, Lord. I've been going back, and I just can't, I can't remember. You see, when, when, did I, when did I see you like that? I just... I don't remember. And Jesus said, whatever you did unto the least, you did unto me. Whatever you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. But Jesus, Jesus, if we had only known it was you. If we saw them as Jesus, maybe we'd notice And so when that broken person that God brings across your path, in answer to that prayer you prayed, when he brings him or her across your path this week, understand, that's like Jesus. And whatever you do to the least, you do unto him. Third, if you want a story of compassion, you've got to take action, really. If you don't have action, it's not honestly a story of compassion. Here's the thing I love about this. Peter said, listen, I don't have any money, but what I have, I'm going to give you. Peter understood something I wish we in our culture could understand. It's not just enough just to feel sorry for somebody. You've got to actually do something. I think we've got to start defining compassion as a verb. Oh, you won't get that in the dictionary. The dictionary defines compassion as a noun. I know that's proper It says, compassion is a deep awareness of and a sympathy for another person's suffering. I'm saying, no, it's not just what you feel. It's got to go beyond that. And so in our culture, we think, wow, I'm flipping through the channels late at night and the emaciated child from a developing country's face comes on. I see the bloated stomach. I think, wow, I really feel bad about that. I'm 
I'm a good guy. I'm compassionate. Or you look out there in the, in the, in the world and you, and you go, wow, there, there, there's still lots of people. They're still discriminated against simply because of the color of their skin. And it makes me angry. So, wow, I'm a good guy. I really feel compassionate. Or you're sitting with your spouse late at night and you're watching a movie and it's a movie with a woman who's dying of cancer and there's this moving deathbed scene where she's saying goodbye to all of her children and you don't want your spouse to notice but there's actually a tear beginning to come down your face. You think, wow, I'm, I'm really compassionate. The measure of compassion is not how you feel. It's what you do because when the Holy Spirit moves in, he doesn't just break your heart, he moves your muscles. You, you do something. That's why James write in, it writes in James chapter two, look, if a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food and comes to you for help, one of you says, look, I wish you well. Go, be warm and well-fed. I feel you, bro. But does nothing about it. What good is that, James says? And that's why John writes in 1 John 3, 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. There are hundreds of stories that are being played out at grace month after month after month because many of you do this superbly. I want you to listen now to this very brief video from one of our Grace in Action partners. And many of our people are involved in th with this particular partner helping hurting people and they're acting on their compassion. Let's listen to this together. time ago, there were two sisters of St. Joseph's that opened a uh, drop-in shelter here in Troy. And they noticed, because it was only during the day, they noticed that some of the guys were going outside and sleeping in the back. And they decided that that can't happen. That's just not right. So Sister Maria and Sister Rita said, here are the keys. If anything's missing, we'll know where to find you, but go inside and sleep. Well, they did that. And the guys actually cooked the breakfast. They cleaned the place and they said, this is great. This is what we need to do. We need to have a home for these gentlemen. So they founded Joseph's House. Um, it started out as just a very small overnight facility, and they realized the need was much bigger than they were providing. So this is how this grew. This is Joseph's House Emergency Shelter. We serve as men, women, children, and families, obviously. Um, and it's a 24-hour day program. You can come in anytime, no questions asked. We'll provide meal, hospitality, and a bed if we have one. Um, otherwise, we'll try to get you as comfortable as we can. Food is a huge part of Joseph's House. Um, one of the biggest things is it makes people feel comfortable. It gives them a sense of community. They can sit around a table together. They can talk. They can share stories. Um, it can also keep them healthy. It's, it's a very, very large part. And having adequate facilities to be able to cook this food is important. We don't want to give people a sandwich all the time. We don't want to give them cereal all the time. We don't want to give them a quick fix. We want to give them a meal, a good hearty meal. Um, and thanks to our partnership with Grace Fellowship, we've been able to really improve upon that whole program. A lot of people from the congregation have been coming over here and cooking meals for us, meeting our guests and letting our guests know that the community really cares for them and cares that they are being taken care of. 
So as part of Grace in Action, we were contacted to say, we'd like to do a bigger project. And we thought about what a bigger project might be and what it could be, and our dream was a new kitchen. Because this kitchen is very old, um, it functions, and we make it function, um, but it really could be approved upon the design, the layout, some of the drainage issues, some of the just general issues we have with working in an over 20-year-old kitchen. We serve our food on a cart outside the door. We put it the cart in the doorway. Nobody can really come in and out while food is being served. If they do, we have to move it. It's not a really welcoming place. It's not a very um, easy way to get the food, and it's not, it doesn't make people feel, it makes people feel more institutionalized. To have a partner like Grace in Action and have them realize that the needs are not just in this community, they reach out much further. Um, and part of being, uh, being part of the whole vision, the 2020 campaign that they're running, um, lets us know that we're benefiting, but our whole world is benefiting. And we feel very proud that they're reaching out to a greater number of people and not just focusing in a general area. All people need help, and they're being very inclusive of that. And the 2020 campaign is, is just a wonderful thing to put on our list that we were partnering with. Action. Compassion leads to action. Well, there's one other element of this story of compassion. That is, if you want to have a story of compassion, you must act in the name of Jesus. Peter says here in verse 6, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And he acted in that name. Can you imagine the scene here in Acts 3? When our kids were little, there was a guy named the Donut Man that all the Christian parents knew about, and there was a cute little song about this story, and it says, he went walking and leaping and praising God. It's a catchy little tune, let me tell you, and the children loved to sing it, and we would sing along in our home, and that's what he's doing. He's jumping. He's dancing. I grew up in the 70s. I imagine him doing a little disco Saturday night fever. If you grew up in the 80s, maybe you see him breakdancing or doing the robot. Maybe you think he was doing the soft shoe. But imagine the buzz. And then Peter, never missing a moment, clears his throat and begins to share the gospel. By the way... If you look at carefully what he says, it's the same message he preached in chapter 2. Imagine that. He just moves the stories around a little bit. It's the same message. He says, you crucified this Jesus. And he says, folks, I want you to know the same God who gave life to these twisted limbs can give life to your soul. What an incredible story. And the outcome of it all is that God brought more and more people to faith because of this act of powerful compassion. Now we're gonna close our service today at all of our locations in a little bit different way. We're gonna talk about a challenge to act out in compassion. We've placed a number of envelopes in the seat back pockets in front of you. I wonder if right now all of you have access to a seat back pocket. They're not in every pocket. There's a limited number of these orange envelopes. Would you find one right now? Seriously, move. Don't worry about moving around. You may have to look. They may not be right around you, but try to find one of these envelopes. And if you can find one, now don't fight over it, okay? If you and your neighbor find one at the same time, if you... Just whoever wants to take it, you go ahead and take it, all right?
But you go ahead and find one of these orange envelopes in the seat back pocket. Would you do that? Okay, so search for them right now. See if you can find one. Inside each one of these envelopes is a $100 bill. Now some of you are getting after those envelopes. You're going, wow, I want to find one of those now. This money was budgeted and budgeted and designated responsibly for this very purpose. You're being given an assignment if you have located one of these orange envelopes. There's a limited number now. Not everybody's going to get one. There's just going to be a very select number of people, and your assignment is to show compassion with someone who's hurting. I want to mention four things that I'm asking you to do if you have one of these envelopes and therefore this assignment from God. First of all, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to use this money. You may decide to ask other friends or coworkers to match it and make the amount greater. You may divide it up among family members and give them an assignment to do something creative with it to help someone who's hurting. But ask the Holy Spirit to show you, and he will do that. Second, thoughtfully use this money to show people outside of the church walls the love of God. In other words, please, 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 don't just turn around and give this back to Grace Fellowship. That's not what it's about. We want you to do something for someone out there beyond the walls of the church. Third, you must act in the name of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Whatever you end up doing, and there's going to be some amazing, exciting stories of compassion, I want you to somehow work in there as you do it that we're doing this because of our love for Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, we don't want them to think that you're just a nice person, although I'm sure you are. What matters is that they give glory to God. So work in that this is because of love for Jesus. And fourth, please share your story with us. Now, if you open this up and you'll see the, the money in there, but you'll also see a sheet of paper that shows you where you can send that. Also on our screens right now are three different ways that you can share your story. You can even write it out. If you want to go old school on us, you can write it out by hand on the sheet of paper that's in there, and you can turn that in, mail it to us, turn it into one of our information centers. Now, please listen carefully. If you have one of these orange envelopes, this is your assignment from God. You're responsible to steward this money well. Now, to some of you, this is not a lot of money. This is about half of a trip to Walmart, okay? This is a few days of your electric or gas bill. That's what that represents for some of you. But this money is being entrusted to you by God to show love to someone. Now, most of you don't have an envelope. What about you? Oh, this is the best part. Most of you don't have one of these envelopes right now. But you may have $100 of your own money. You may. And if God would nudge you that way, I would challenge you to just say, look, I'm in. I'm going to take $100 of my own money and find out how the Holy Spirit would want me to creatively help someone who's hurting with that. And then send us your story, if you would. Send us your story. So we've got this information on the screens just to make sure you know how you can get that story to us. And I'm asking you to send that story 
within the next 21 days, please, if you possibly can. I'd love to start even next week sharing some of these exciting stories. I'm going to get them in the sermons. I'm going to start talking about some of the things that the Holy Spirit led you to do. Now, if you're comfortable doing this at all of our locations, up in Saratoga, Greenbush, Half Moon, and at Latham, I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet right now if you did get one of these orange envelopes. Would you just stand to your feet, please? I simply want to pray for you as we close. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is an exciting assignment, and I just want to pray for you as we wrap up today. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. I thank you that your compassion is what compels us to go and share that compassion with others. I pray that you would fill these dear people with the Holy Spirit, stoke their imaginations, give them ideas of how they can creatively and compassionately go and help someone who's hurting. And Lord, I pray they'd be able to do it in Jesus' name. The world is obviously full of hurting people, Lord, who desperately need someone to reach out and help. I pray that you would make us a people like that. Help us today, God, to commit to that very thing, and we do it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's family said amen and amen. Let's give God some.